We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network live wherever you go on iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. You are now about to take a journey with professional advisors Ken Smith and Ethan Broga on Empirical Investing Radio. To connect with Empirical Investing Radio, please call 1-866-472-5790. Fasten your seatbelts. You're going to need them. Just because the hosts have a sense of humor does not mean their advice won't change your life. Good afternoon and welcome to Empirical Investing Radio. This is Ken Smith, your host, certified financial planner and CEO of Seattle-based wealth management firm, Empirical Wealth Management. Today I have sitting in the studio with me our director of research at Empirical, Eric Eric Lair. Good afternoon, Eric. Hey, Ken. Thanks for joining us today. We are recording today, September 11th, because our partner Ethan is out today, but he'll also be out tomorrow doing a seminar, and I'm going to attend that event with him to help him present it, which reminds me, if you are interested in attending any of our investment or financial planning, retirement planning seminars, please give us a call throughout the week. You can reach us at one 800 923 4307. That's 1 800 923 4307. Or shoot me an email directly, ksmith at EMPI Radio. Actually, I'll give you my personal email, ksmith at empirical.net. And uh, I'd be happy to get you a schedule, or you can visit our website. Just go to empirical.net, pull down our schedule. Simon, I believe we have a schedule. Okay, on there. He's nodding and confirming. or you can pull down all the, the various um, seminars and events we'll be doing throughout the next year. You guys Loved. are in, uh, in Bellevue tomorrow, right? We'll be in Bellevue, Washington tomorrow. And uh, we're just in the process of setting up a, uh, an office in Phoenix, by the way. We'll be starting to do some That'd be fantastic. presentations out there. Um, Alaska, Portland, Oregon, um, Seattle, and the metropolitan areas in each of those cities. Hopefully coming to a city near you, which reminds me, if you're an advisor and you're looking to connect with a a, a firm like Empirical, please also contact us about that. This show, by the way, Eric, is designed to teach you prudent investing and financial planning ideas to help you make a lifetime of smarter financial decisions. You've probably worked very hard to build up your retirement savings or your life savings, or you're working currently hard to develop a plan. and we want to help you preserve and keep that and enjoy the fruits of your labor over the course of your lifetime. And we think the best way, rather than bombarding you with daily news articles, is to cover prudent this investment and financial planning theory um, that we believe will make, help you make a, those decisions on an ongoing basis. 
Today is September 11th. Uh, we're doing the show one day earlier. We're pre-recording this, so we won't uh, be taking it. I know we usually get flooded and overwhelmed with live callers and emails, but uh, we're doing it in advance, as I mentioned. So um, just want to mention that our hearts and our thoughts and our prayers go out to those who lost friends and family in the 9-11 terrorist attacks 12 years ago today. Um, and, you know, Eric, I, I thought we could open the show just talking a little bit about the events. That, you know, nobody, it's debatable whether we had into, uh, intel but the, uh, on the terror attacks or how that intel could have been used to avoid it. But from an investment perspective, um, we don't know when the next terrorist attack, financial calamity, um, natural disaster, and we used to do a presentation on, on investing um, right about the 10-year mark from the turn of the century, and we said, well, look, at, look what's happened in this 10-year period of time, um, starting with the technology bubble popping um, in after the turn of the century, and then subsequently um, real estate bubbling and popping all-time uh, deficits, budget deficits, um, and natural disasters like the oil spill in the Gulf, the hurricane in the um, in in Louisiana, and what happened there, uh, and oil prices skyrocketing. A lot of different things that have occurred politically economically um, than another financial disaster, basically, and uh, with the housing crisis. Uh, all of those things, very few people predicted them. And very few people predicted the previous 10 years that were very good uh, in the market as well. And, and, and our point with all of that is, if you thought about it, and we, you, you took that trip down memory lane, uh, most of us wouldn't have had an idea. There's plenty of news coverage after the fact, after each of these events, and pr plenty of people who are willing to step up to talk about why the market will continue to go up or down. You right. know, it was the technology. There was, an, there was no shortage of prognosticators that would say, hey, and we're going to talk about one of them, this Harry Dent, charlatan as I would like to call him, uh, talking about you know, markets going up or down. But usually it's after the trigger event has started. You know, what would be very helpful is if someone said, hey, there's going to be a terrorist attack, and they called you and said, maybe you want to get out of the market because it's going to drop 10% more. It's already on a down slope, and, and our economy is going to be further crippled by this terrorist attack. But very, very infrequently do we get that call. Yeah, I mean, you get like you said, any number of people who will come out after the fact and tell you that they saw it coming. And it's, it's easy to, uh, to convince yourself that you knew this was going to happen. Well, obviously, in, in 2007, 2008, real estate prices were getting too high. Yeah, when I knew that the whole time, so I should have gotten out of the market. So it's, I, mean, I think it's hindsight bias, it's called. But uh, I mean, you know, re really, at the time, people didn't know that. They would have acted differently had right. they done so. And I think sometimes we're hard on ourselves. If we get some somewhere along the line, we get a, an, uh, an inspiration or a thought that races through our head that, hey, we should do something. Right now, it's it's bonds, for example. Um, and then we don't act on those initial feelings. Um, we feel like a bit of a jackass for not 
approaching it. But it's it's really our mind is playing tricks as we get hundreds of predictions in our mind or thoughts, and it's the ones that have some resonance of accuracy later that rise to our mind and says, geez, I, I knew this was going to happen. I thought this was going to happen. But what about the other hundred things that I thought were going to happen that didn't happen, right? Yeah, you don't remember those. So here's the secret of this whole thing, um, or the key to it, that I want to reiterate. And that is the best approach is to pick and put a strategy together that enables you to be successful without predicting future events. It's impo- get get over the idea that you will be able to accurately predict future events in such a way that you can be profitable from it uh, and say, well, wouldn't it be better if I didn't have to rely on that? And is there still help and advice out there that I should be getting you know, that the industry for far too long has, I believe, led people to, to feel that the, the only good advice is advice that predicts the future, right. that somehow interprets um, the future you know, in, in advance. And that's a, that's a huge fallacy. There's so much um, that can be done to improve results. And an example, I was just pulling this up. Um, you hear that? I pulled it up. In our returns calculator that you created, Eric, and um, if, just from the end of September of 2001 through the end of August, and I'm just using monthly data here. Market was up today again, by the way. Um, it's been a pretty interesting to see it rebound so quickly again. But uh, from that period of time, if you looked at the S&P 500 index, for example, it's averaged about 5.16% per year um, from, from, and I'm just picking because today's the September 11th period, <clears throat> which is positive. And if we looked during that same period of time, and we said, well, I could have put my money into um, bonds, the average, the aggregate bond index has averaged about 5% a year, so a little lower than the S&P. So you did a little better by being in equities, for example. Um, if we just looked at one-month T-bills, you would have only gotten 1.58% during that period of time. But a successful strategy is one that has a measure of risk in it uh, that that allows you to sustain the downturns and get the return that you need. And it also incorporates all that research has to offer on how to diversify my portfolio and tilt the odds in my favor of enhancing my returns without taking on a lot of speculative type of risk. And so if we looked at diversifying away from just U.S. large cap over that period of time from from September of 2001 through August of this year, uh, you could have done you would have done reasonably well by expanding your investment into things like emerging markets, which aren't doing too hot. Now we're going to talk about that a little bit today. Haven't done so hot this year, but over the last 10 plus years, they've done very well. And in our middle of the road, we call it our moderately targeted premium portfolio of equities that includes things like emerging markets, like real estate, foreign or or international developed country, small, focuses on some small companies, some value companies. It's averaged 8.3% per year for the last, from end of September of 2001 through August of 2013. That's pretty good. Um, for a period of time that has 
encapsulated all of the things that we've talked about, two, two pretty major market declines and every other political and natural disaster that we've had through this period of time. It, people wouldn't describe that period as our best economic time, yet it was possible applying prudent investment strategies to do quite well and stay significantly ahead of inflation over that period of time. Now, if you mix that with some bonds, because, hey, maybe you shouldn't have been in all equity throughout that period, um, you still could have done quite well and stayed ahead of, of inflation. Yeah, I mean, that's absolutely right. As you mentioned, um, people believe that the, the strategy is to protect the future. And, I mean, sure, if, you could, if anybody could predict the future, that would be great you know, give us a call, let, let us know. But the fact is you can't. So at least our philosophy is you, you design an investment strategy that's going to hold up the best under any conditions, under any, there's going to be unexpected things that happen in the future. You've just named a bunch of them. There's been other things. There was Europe's been in crisis. We've had multiple wars just this past month. We've had this uh, the possibility that we may, you know, do something in Syria. And you just, you, you're not, you, the only sure thing is that there will be unexpected events in the future. That's right. And so anything, so designing your, your investments in such a way that you're best, as best prepared as you can be for anything. Because you don't know what it will be next and when it will be and how deep the, the recession or the decline will be or the expansion will be. So it's far better, as we're, as we're saying here. What we are saying here in straight talk is it's far better to design a strategy that isn't predicated on the least meaningful thing, activity, which is trying to predict future events. Because once the events occurred, the market's typically already reacted to it. Eric, we've got to take a quick break. When we come back from the break, I do want to talk about this article on Harry Dent and what, what his record has been predicting just the thing we're talking about. Then I want to talk about emerging markets um, and whether it's a good time to be in those right now. And if we have time in, in the show, I want to get to a little bit of a discussion about ultra-sure bond funds and bond investing in general. We'll be right back. Thanks for tuning in to uh, Empirical Investing Radio. Always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now, toll free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. Are you an individual investor looking for a trusted financial advisor? Or are you a financial professional looking to connect with a world-class wealth management firm? My name is Simon Liu, Portfolio Manager with Empirical Wealth Management. Inviting you to contact us at 1-800-923-4307. That's 1-800-923-4307. Or visit our website at EmpiricalFS.com. That's E-M-P-I-R-I-C-A-L-F-S.com. Our mission at Empirical is to provide clients with the most effective, unbiased investment and financial planning advice available. Empirical is changing the way investment advice is delivered by striving to put our clients' interests first. Call us now to get started with a no-cost, no-obligation discovery process. The number again is 1-800-923-4307. Or you can begin this process on our website at EmpiricalFS.com. 
business community's first choice in Internet talk radio. Voice America Business Network. You are listening to Empirical Investing Radio with Ken Smith and co-host Ethan Broga. To call into the program with a question or comment, please dial 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You may also send an email to contact at empiradio.com. Now, back to Ken and Ethan. Welcome back to Empirical Investing Radio. Alongside Ken Smith, I am Eric Lear, filling in for investment and financial planning all-star Ethan Broga. And Ken, before we went to the break, you, uh, you had been talking about investment strategies, about people trying to predict the future, and uh, I thought that would be a good transition into this article from our, uh, our friend Larry Swedro who wrote a, this blog post called Harry Dent and the Chamber of Poor Returns. Thought we'd talk about that a little bit. Oh, okay, I didn't. I saw the article, and I wasn't sure who that it was Larry that wrote that, so that's cool. It was Larry. I like cl- him. Clever title. little play on the uh, Harry Potter. Yeah, books. what does he have to say about your man, Harry? Well, We've talked about him on and off throughout the years as mm-hmm. an example of what not to do. <laughs> so, okay, let's start off reading here. So, the man who predicted Japan's lost decade, the recession of 1990 to 92, the biggest bull market run in U.S. history, and most recently, the 2008 credit crisis and stock market crash, now predicts Dow 3300. Yes, today wow. the Dow Jones average may be near historic highs, but it won't be for long. The Dow will drop. So begins the ad for Harry Dent's Survive and Prosper Free e-letter. Put a little music on here for you. Yeah, get what you pay for there, huh? Dent claims that he'll not only show you his economic analysis and demographic research that proves the Dow is about to make a historic drop, but also how to retire in luxury despite the forecast of the drop in the Dow of almost 80%. This guy promises a lot, but who is Harry Dent? And so the article goes on to talk about Harry Dent. Uh, He's essentially a professional prognosticator. He made some predictions back in the uh, late 80s about that Japan would struggle and early 90s that the U.S. stock market was going to take off. And he's basically been riding that wave of success ever since. Hmm. So uh, this the blog goes on to talk about some of his predictions he made. In October 1999, Dent wrote the bestseller The Roaring 2000s. The following is from the Library Journal's review. Dent's previous book, The Great Boom Ahead, accurately predicted the stock market boom of the 1990s. In this one, he looks ahead to the new millennium and claims that the Dow may reach as high as 35,000 within the next decade, due in large part to the changing demographics of baby boom investors. Which, by the way, at the time, a lot of people thought that that sounded like a very reasonable uh, way of explaining why the market would go up. The problem with that, and I'll let you get back to it here in a second, Eric, is that uh, it discounts all the other ver- factors. You're focusing on one factor of what's going on in the market, and it discounts all the other things that contribute to or affect how the market works. Yeah, exactly. And that's that's Dent's 
little areas he predicts. So there's nothing, I can't argue that there was a huge boom of uh, demographic change coming, right? Right. But I can make any observation around the world, right, and be accurate, 100% accurate. But where I can't be accurate is converting that into returns for the for a particular, for markets and for, because you don't know how the market will um, Im- react to that. So the fact that there's a lot of people reaching a particular age doesn't make a company profitable, right? Right. Because there could be 100 companies that come in to compete for that particular market segment. And each of them driving the, the, the nature of competition, right? Driving them, driving the prices down to a point where there's no, there's no exceptional profit to be made in a particular. And we've seen that time and time again. It's not that they're the, the fact that more people today use cell phones than ever that makes buying only cell phone companies a bad investment not a great investment idea, right? right? I'm not saying they're they're not by the merits of them. So I'm saying we would still recommend you diversify across all industries because there's a lot of factors like an oversupply. Um, it doesn't matter. It, it's not that if they were the only cell phone provider and they could maintain that position inevitably in the future and prices could maintain stay high enough for them to have, there would be extraordinary profits available. The problem is, once that is identified, the opportunity is identified, companies come in pretty rapidly to fill that, that need or that gap or that, and the excess profits don't re- remain forever or indefinitely, and it's very difficult to pick, predict who, who in advance will be able to exploit that. And you get what I'm saying? Yeah. So there, it's not that some of the ideas are, are not accurate. It's hard to argue that, yeah, there is a... A large number of baby boomers, for example, hitting the market. But I mean, I, I, I completely agree. He's he just focuses, and that this is sort of Dan's specialty. He just focuses on demographics and and extrapolates where things will go from there. But I think it, it misses the bigger picture. Uh, when you're holding stocks, you're holding shares of different companies, right? And to to make a claim like the Dow is going to thirty five thousand from uh, I'm not sure what it was, ten thousand around then. Uh, yeah, 1999 is when he made that prediction. Looks like. Yeah. So to assume that the Dow is going to go up, you know, 350 percent, you have to assume that each of those companies, or on average, the companies in the Dow are going to be, are going to increase by that much, and. Just the fact that there's going to be more baby boomers doesn't really it doesn't it doesn't translate into returns as you said right and I, I think it's it is easy to lose track of of what you, when you own stocks what you're actually purchasing right but well let's see how he did okay Dent could not have been more wrong the next decade saw the S and P lose one percent a year producing a cumulative loss of nine percent. Let's see. Despite this, this failure, which might have humbled someone else, Dent persisted. Well, he's persistent. You've got to give the guy credit for that. Yeah, that's true. In January 2006... He's a tenacious little bugger. He's tenacious. <laughs> he published The Next Great Bubble Boom, How to Profit from the Greatest Boom in History, 2006 to 2010. Again, again, Dent was wrong. Not long after publication, we experienced the worst bear market since the 1930s. You got a bear sound on there? I do. 
continue on. Ferocious. And for the full five-year period, the S&P returned just 2.3% per year, well below the return on safe bonds. This seems like less of a bubble boom, more of a bubble burst. So, again, this guy made some pretty pretty bold predictions and right. was completely wrong. So, that, that, that must have stopped him, right? He couldn't make any more predictions after that. No, people must have ran him out of town. Yeah, this guy can't sell any more books. The, the fight's starting? I'm sorry. <laughs> Go ahead. Ah, let's, let's continue on. Let's see what happened. Dent remains undaunted by his failures. He persists in his efforts to try and convince investors that his crystal ball is clear. His latest effort, The Great Crash Ahead, Strategies for a World Turned Upside Down, was released in September 2011. Here is wording from the product description of the book. For over 15 years, New York Times bestselling author Harry S. Dent Jr. has been uncannily accurate in predicting the financial future. <laughs> and <laughs> Swedro comments, it's hard, to believe, it, it's hard to believe even a publicist could lie so shamelessly. Absolutely. So, again, it goes on. If you'll remember in the tagline of this, Mr. Dent predicts Dow 3300. That's, that's where he's at now. So I guess he figured he uh, he couldn't get it right on the upside. He's, he's going to well, get it right on the upside. The strange thing is we uh, talked about this probably a year ago. He was predicting that. So this isn't the first. I don't know what the date is on this blo- on his blog here, but we ta- pointed that mm-hmm. he appeared on CNBC, I think it was about a year ago, um, predicting that. So I don't know what happened. Well, but and and, I, and what we when we looked into it at the time, he had actually started his own fund, the Harry Dent uh, Mutual Fund. Yeah, well, l- let's get to that. Oh, is that? I, that is in the article. Oh, it's in the article. Because um, we did point that out. All right. A fitting denouement to this story is the tale of the AIM Dent Demographics Trend Fund, which was launched in June 7th of 1999. Dent was a consultant to the fund. The fund was up 54% for the remainder of that year. Well, pretty impressive. Unfortunately, the fund's results were miserable afterwards. From 2000 to 2004, the fund lost over 11% per annum and underperformed the S&P by almost 9% per year. In 2005, its sponsor put investors out of their misery by merging it into the AIM Weingarten Fund. Undaunted, at least in his belief that investors would entrust their assets to him, in September of 2009, the advisor shares Dent Tactical ETF was launched with Dent himself as the co-manager. The fund's track record was so bad that in August 2012, the fund was liquidated and sent to where it belonged, the mutual fund graveyard. So he had two different funds that he launched, and so he's made, let's put it this way, he's made a lot more money writing books, making predictions about the stock market than he ever has, at least in the public track record of his, his the funds that were put out by him, by with his strategies, actually investing any money. Both of the investment funds that he's launched had to be closed down because they were so poor. Yeah, well, he seems to have the uh, he's he's got the the best strategy here. He makes it's not just that he makes predictions; he makes ridiculous predictions that are so outlandish that they really grab people's attention. You know, if he's predicting, oh, well, the Dow's going to go up 1,000 points this year, no one cares. 
when you say it's gonna it's gonna drop seventy percent, well that that gets you know gets people excited. Well, and that's what we're pointing this out with the humorous sound effects that uh, Simon's been putting in left and right. Uh, is that <clears throat> it's it's not to 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 berate Harry Dent. The point of it, all of this, is that you actually have a situation here where someone's become very famous. You said he's a New York Times bestseller, has been a bestseller, and as he's been continuously wrong, continues to sell books. Um, we've got to take a quick break, though. Eric, let's come back. We'll finish up on this and then get into our emerging markets and then bond discussion. We'll be right back on Empirical Investing Radio. Thank you. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Are you an individual investor looking for a trusted financial advisor? Or are you a financial professional looking to connect with a world-class wealth management firm? My name is Simon Liu, Portfolio Manager with Empirical Wealth Management, inviting you to contact us at 1-800-923-4307. That's 1-800-923-4307. Or visit our website at EmpiricalFS.com. That's E-M-P-I-R-I-C-A-L-F-S.com. Our mission at Empirical is to provide clients with the most effective, unbiased investment and financial planning advice available. Empirical is changing the way investment advice is delivered by striving to put our clients' interests first. Call us now to get started with a no-cost, no-obligation discovery process. The number again is 1-800-923-4307. Or you can begin this process on our website at EmpiricalFS.com. We're always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now. Toll free. 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. You are listening to Empirical Investing Radio with Ken Smith and co-host Ethan Broga. To call into the program with a question or comment, please dial 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You may also send an email to contact at empiradio.com. Now, back to Ken and Ethan. Welcome back to Empirical Investing Radio from the Empirical Towers high above beautiful Seattle. I am Eric Lear alongside Ken Smith. And before we went to the break, we had just finished up talking about uh, Harry Dent. And Ken, I think you want to transition to emerging markets. Yeah, that's right. I thought we could go into uh, this article about emerging markets. I haven't really even read it. I just, I like to come in fresh on this so we're all journeying together. Um, Before I do that, just a reminder, if you do want to contact us throughout the week, have us take a look at your current financial plan or your investments or what you're doing for retirement. There's a lot of things that we can usually do to help add value. And if you're mentioned the show here, we're not going to charge you to, to do that that ancillary meeting or, t- or talk. We can do it over the phone um, and then through email. So 
If you do want to do that, shoot me an email, ksmith at empirical.net throughout the week or call us here 1-800-923-4307 to reach us at the office. Cool. Well, uh, yeah, Eric, I thought we could talk a little bit about um, this article out of Money Watch here. It says, emerging markets have investors panicking. Whenever an asset class is performing relatively poorly, questions pour in from investors. So it's no surprise I've been getting lots of calls and emails about the year-to-date performance of emerging markets. The calls have been fueled by articles in the financial press that proclaim warnings like, quote, the investment narrative for emerging markets has shifted markedly and rapidly. Having been viewed until recently as a promising destination for investors, the asset class is now experiencing significant outflows and having been previously characterized as reliable engines of global economic growth, emerging economies are now seen as more volatile and con- as contributing less to corporate earnings and profitability, end quote. As of August 22nd, 2013, Vanguard's S&P 500 index fund was up 19.5%, while their emerging markets fund was down 10%, a difference of almost 30%. That kind of gap often leads to bad behavior, as most investors are notorious return chasers. Buying what has done well in the past at high prices, more often than not, and selling what has been doing poorly at low prices. Buying high and selling low, I don't have to tell you, Eric, is not a good strategy. And it's why the evidence shows that investors tend to underperform the very mutual funds in which they invest. You know, this sounds like a Larry Switcher article also. It is. is. That, oh, okay. <laughs> sounds very his style. Mm-hmm. Um, so he, uh, he takes a look here, Larry, uh, that investors t- tend to underperform the very mutual funds which they invest, what, which one of his colleagues calls the behavioral gap. This time is no different. The financial media reporting on large outflows by both individual and institutional investors from emerging market funds and and bond funds. And I'm glad because that's going to lead into our our next little chat. To help you prevent from engaging in bad behavior, I thought it would be helpful to go over a few key points. His first point is that different is better. The first is that in a world where there are no clear crystal balls, just uncertainty, something we were just talking about, Diversification across asset classes is the only prudent strategy. It's one we subscribe to. Absolutely. With that in mind, we want a portfolio to be filled with assets that don't have very high correlations. Correlations is explaining how they relate to one another. And not just during one period of time, Eric. This is now me. This isn't Larry here in this discussion. But one thing that's always bothered me is you have one period of time where two market asset classes tend to happen to go down or up together approximately the same degree and people in the media start screaming the correlation thing doesn't work because the world is all too similar well this is a perfect example this period of time where the S&P was up 19% 19 19.5% and the emerging markets are down almost uh, 20 or I'm sorry 10 for a total of 30% difference between plus minus. If we look at an individual, we do this with little, we put the little boxes on top of each other with the asset classes that we track with the best performing and the worst performing. And even within equities or even within bonds, you see year to year a pretty large dispersion between the top performer and the bottom performer. And you like to see that. And, and I agree 100% with what Larry's something we've been saying for a decade now. 
or more um, for 17 years that I've been doing this that, hey, you want to see that. You want to, rather than spend time being upset about, well, why didn't I just have all my money in the one? The reason why you wouldn't be upset is because you realize that's impossible to do consistently. You may get lucky occasionally, but it's very difficult to figure out in advance. Um, And now it's clear that for the last year, emerging markets hasn't done as well. But what will happen over the next 12 months? Let's fasten our seatbelts. We're going to see if this repeats itself for the next. And if it does, it still doesn't mean you're right. You just don't know. But what you do know is when they behave differently, they should. you should be investing in asset classes that have positive expected returns in the future. And here's another little secret, little investment secret, Eric. The more people don't like something and the more it gets publicity that it's not liked, the greater the expected return going forward. That's been my experience, and that's been the empirical data. When you have stock, people hating stocks, like in 1979 in the Business Week article, The Death of Equities was the title of it, and that's the pervasive feeling around in the market. And when it gets down to where it's in your neighborhood and people... You know, when it was the tech bubble and people were talking at the mailbox or whatever about how much money they're, you know, there, there's probably going to be a change soon. You don't know exactly when, but that should be a sign to you. Um, and here in the emerging markets, it's no different. You know, you you look at how they are, they've not done well, but they're also not trading in incredible rates. And I'll, I'm, I'm sure he's going to get to that himself as well. Right. Well, the, the expression, uh, the time to invest is when there's blood running in the streets. Right? Exactly. So Larry's saying yeah, that means we want to see periods when assets are performing very differently. Thus, the fact that this year, U.S. and developed have done better than emerging uh, should be viewed as a good thing, not a bad thing. Believing otherwise is making the mistake I call a confusing strategy with outcome. The strategy of diversification is right or it's wrong, whatever happens over the subsequent 12 months from now. Yeah, well, as you discussed, that we like to put together the, the heat maps where we'll say, okay, this, these are the asset classes that were at the top, these were the worst. And the what, what you can glean from these charts is that it's not the same uh, assets at the top and the bottom every year. If it were, that would make it easy. We'll just pick the, the best one every year and we'll... You know, we'll stay with that, and we'll stay away from the worst one. But that's right. That's the whole point: is that they switch around, and there's just and you just there's no way beforehand to know which one's going to be the best, which one's going to be the worst. So number two on his it looks like about a five point list here about this: uh, things will get volatile. Second, emerging markets are highly volatile, and they tend to experience sharp sell-offs that typically result from capital outflows. So money being pulled out of those investments uh, may not. Some of the declines we see, particularly during, this is again me talking here, when you see declines or increases in stocks that really are detached from the fundamental uh, the, the fundamental value of, of the asset, that can occur and persist because simply because people have a aversion towards the investment asset class. They want out of it. And for every share of stock in the world, somebody has to own it. Right. So this time around has been no different that the, that as the capital outflows were spurred by spurred by fears that the expected tapering of the Federal Reserve's easing mon, easy monetary policy would negatively impact their economies. That's part of the risk of investing in emerging markets. 
And the greater the risks are also why emerging markets have had expected higher expected returns. Thus, volatility and periods of poor returns should be anticipated and built into plans, not led to panicked sell- selling after prices have already declined or fallen. And so we don't put, even in our most aggressive models, because we have different allocations to emerging markets, we don't put a 100% into emerging markets, and there's a reason for that. They are very aggressive and volatile and risky, and that's why we expect to get a higher rate of return. If if they were aggressive and volatile and risky and we expected a lower return, we, we wouldn't have any of it in the portfolio. Yeah, I think that's, that's really a key point you hit on there. Um, and when things, when assets do well for a while, you, you can get a situation where investors just... Uh, assume that this is how things are going to be. There's not going to be volatility. It's like in the, uh, in the 90s, stocks went up. The S&P was going up 25% a year. And they, I, I was at a seminar. They talked about a survey in uh, 2000, early 2000, about what, what people expected uh, stock returns to do. And the consensus was something like 30% a year. Right. And <clears throat> so people, well, that's, just, that's what's happened. So it's going to continue to happen. And that's you're getting paid for holding a risky asset. There is risk, and what that means is that the stock will go down sometime. And that's what we're seeing in emerging markets. Cool. Well, number three says take the good with the bad. And I'll summarize this because we're running out of time in the segment. But basically, something I talked about back in 2003 was you had a, a global portfolio that we worked on, that we had. It was up around 48%. Um, well, it wasn't because the S&P 500 went up 48% in 2003. You had emerging markets doing phenomenally well back in 2003. Even the, the Vanguard Emerging Markets Fund was up, he's citing here, um, 29% more than the S&P 500 was. That's in addition to. And it happened several years throughout that 2003 to 2007 run. So the idea is that you will get... You, you you have to stay take some of those bad years like we're having this year to have those good years those and when they do happen in emerging markets there you don't want to miss them you don't want to be out of the out of emerging markets in 2003 at a time where they go up 50 or 60% right that's not a great t- and then get into them you you'd love to be you want to be you you accept some of those bad years knowing that hey it's only going to take a couple to make up and then and then some so there's a couple more here. Uh, don't just jump and the Holy Grail. And we've got one more segment, so maybe we'll hit those. We'll take a quick break. We'll come back. We'll hit those and then spend the rest of the time talking a little bit about bonds. How that sound? Sounds great. We'll be right back on Empirical Investing Radio. talking business talk to an expert call now toll free 866-472-5790 that's 866-472-5790 voice america business network are you an individual investor looking for a trusted financial advisor or are you a financial professional looking to connect with a world-class wealth management firm my name is simon Liu, portfolio manager with empirical wealth management inviting you to contact us at 1-800-923-4307. That's 1-800-923-4307. Or visit our website at empiricalfs.com. That's E-M-P-I-R-I-C-A-L-F-S.com. 
Our mission at Empirical is to provide clients with the most effective, unbiased investment and financial planning advice available. Empirical is changing the way investment advice is delivered by striving to put our clients' interests first. Call us now to get started with a no-cost, no-obligation discovery process. The number again is 1-800-923-4307. Or you can begin this process on our website at EmpiricalFS.com. The business community's first choice in Internet Talk Radio. Voice America Business Network. You are listening to Empirical Investing Radio with Ken Smith and co-host Ethan Broga. To call into the program with a question or comment, please dial 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You may also send an email to contact at empiradio.com. Now, back to Ken and Ethan. All right, welcome back to Empirical Investing Radio for our final segment. I am Eric Lear. I'm alongside Ken Smith, and uh, that's our adoring fans. And right before we went to break, Ken, you were reading about uh, some advice that Larry Suetro had about emerging markets. I think we were on step four. I had five little items of, uh, you know, emerging markets have people panicked. And he was just giving five good reasons, like why you would want to hold tight. And then um, I'm adding our wisdom and whatever there we have into that. And his fourth one was uh, don't just jump. You know, investors are dumping emerging market uh, holdings. The investors who are are probably unaware that they're doing so, as they typically do at a time that when they have had much lower valuation metrics than in the past. For example, the Morningstar database shows that as of March of 2013, the forward-looking P.E. ratio for the Vanguard of S&P 500 fund was 14.3, while it was just 11.8 for the emerging markets. And I'll skip the book-to-market stuff here, but um, as of July 31st, uh, Dimensional Fund Advisors, U.S. large company fund, had a P.E. of 15.5. And their emerging markets was 12.4, so um, quite a bit lower on the emerging markets than the U.S. large cap. So one of the things to keep in mind in, in all the research I've done is what you the price you do pay for things does matter. Right. Um, and if there is going to be some consideration, it would make sense to say, hey, when, I, when when investors should be dumping out of a particular asset class, it's because it's ridiculously overpriced. Right. Um, not because it's significantly cheaper than it was previous to the decline. Right. I think that's a, that's a really important point, and it's um, you can you can sort of highlight an example of this in the past, looking at the the tech bubble versus the financial crisis. So in the late 90s, early 2000, in the tech bubble in the U.S., uh, the valuations of stocks, S&P index, for example, were really high. Uh, what the, I think the, the price-to-earnings ratio on the S&P was 45 or 50, something like yeah, that. Yeah, that's right. So, you know, three times the normal, the long-term average. Things were overpriced. So... 
when the tech bubble crashed, uh, it took a long time for markets to recover. The the Nasdaq is still, I think, about fifteen hundred two thousand points below where it was where it peaked. Right. Nasdaq's the technology based index. Uh, in two thousand eight, we had a real estate bubble, but we didn't really have an equities bubble. They just happened. I mean, they were equities were a bit above long-term uh, average valuations, but they, but they weren't drastically out of line with, with what we're used to seeing. And so after the crisis, I wouldn't say ended, after we bottomed out, things recovered uh, much more quickly. Yeah. Just, I mean, that's, but that's not even, uh, I mean, it's, it's more of a reversion to the mean as opposed to, um, again, when, when you have a bubble and things are, are overpriced. So number five, he says, the holy, the holy grail, the bottom line is whether we are talking about emerging markets or small value stocks, you must accept that along with higher expected returns comes increased volatility and lots of what's referred to as tracking error. Your portfolio's returns won't mirror the market's return. Um, thus, the key to getting these higher expected returns is sticking through the periods when performance is ugly. I agree 100%, and one idea is to rebalance. What, what tends to happen when things get ugly and people are dumping out of these, and the, coincidentally the, the, the valuations are cheaper, is if you're sticking to your rebalancing plan, you'd be buying more at a cheaper time, not selling out of it right now. Um, and in certain areas that makes a lot of sense, in other areas maybe not so much sense. But when it comes to rebalancing your equity portfolio across these asset classes, it makes a lot of sense to me. Right. And I think, uh, I think what, to kind of follow on to what you're saying, is that, that there are times when, when asset, an asset class or you know, a group of stocks dropping in price is a sign that you should get out, and there's a time that's an opportunity. Uh, if, you, if you think that, for example, emerging markets that are below their long-term uh, valuations. If you think that something has fundamentally changed about emerging markets, then maybe that that's a time where you should be moving out of emerging markets. But if if you don't believe that these countries, that all the countries in the, in, that are considered emerging markets, have had a structural change where they're no longer going to be productive economies, then you can look at this as an opportunity. Yeah. So, Eric, we've only got a few minutes, and I don't mean to cut you short here, but I want to jump into this quick discussion about, there was a bond article I was just scanning through before we got on, and it was about ultra-short bond funds in the Wall Street Journal by Tom Laricella. Um, and I, I want to read it real qu- as quickly as I can, and at least start this topic, and then make sure we get to it next week, because I feel like I've been putting it off. But ultra-short bond funds, are they ultra-safe? With ultra-short-term interest rates remaining locked near zero, yield-starved investors have been turning to ultra-short bond funds as a safe place to stash cash. Attracted by yields on ultra-short funds ranging mostly between two-tenths and 1.3%, investors shifted, now this is interesting, $9.6 billion into the group during the first seven months of 2013, according to Morningstar. Fund companies, meanwhile, have been rolling out new offerings, as they always do, mm-hmm. to capture uh, these these trends, including ultra-short exchange-traded bond funds. These funds, which invest in bonds typically maturing in less than one year, are likely to suffer smaller losses than other funds if interest rates rise. Yet investors need to remember that they can lose money. 
They're not money market substitutes, and within the group, there's a range of strategic uh, strategies carrying different risks. Some investors with a long memory may recently have gotten a reminder of how ultra-short bond funds can fail to protect investor money. Last month, Charles Schwab Corp's unit filed, uh, Charles Schwab Corporation's unit filed with regulators to offer a series of ultra-short ETFs. The Schwab Yield Plus Mutual Fund lost 35% during the financial crisis in 2008, resulting in the company agreeing to pay a $119 million fine to settle civil charges from the SEC that it allegedly misled investors about the safety of the fund. Schwab didn't admit or deny guilt. It's unclear from the new filings, however, how the ETFs will be uh, different from the Yield Plus strategy. A Schwab spokeswoman says the strategies are different, other Schwab funds and ETFs currently uh, or previously offered, but she declines to comment, uh, further citing the quiet period. Um, it wasn't just that Schwab uh, at Schwab that investors lost money in ultra-short bond funds. Um, the average ultra-short bond fund lost about 8% as some of the securities uh, that the fund companies believed were safe turned out to be riskier. So um, the idea here is that just because you shorten up the duration of the bond fund that you're investing in, and that would that's the big lesson for me from the 2008 situation, is it doesn't mean that the fund can't have any volatility or go down. Um, and so we're going to run out of time here. But what I'd like to do next week is to talk about, well, what strategies can you employ right now based on the interest rate situation we're in? Um, because sitting there and earning zero isn't probably the greatest idea, pulling all your money out of, of fixed income altogether. But just shortening the duration without a thorough consideration of the risk you might be taking in a particular fund isn't the full answer either, in my opinion. It, still a, a, having a diversified bond strategy that manages interest rate risk and credit risk and appropriately matches that to your situation is better. We'll talk about that next week. Thanks for tuning in this week to Empirical Investing Radio. Eric, I want to thank you for coming on the show. Always great to as be here. As our director of research, you can reach Eric throughout the week as well as myself at our firm at 1-800-923-4307. Thanks and have a great week. We hope you've enjoyed Empirical Investing Radio with Ken Smith and Ethan Broga. Please join us again next Thursday afternoon at 5 p.m. Eastern Time and 2 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. And for more information about Empirical Investing Radio, please call 800-923-4307. We'll see you next week. again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the voice america business channel for more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest please visit voiceamericabusiness.com the voice america talk radio network is the worldwide leader in live internet talk radio visit voiceamerica.com the views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the voice america talk radio network its staff and management